Let's pray for America and the rest of the world that God will move in mercy and deliver many from this fate and send revival once again. There's only one thing that's ever going to change this. A move of the Spirit of God sweeping the country. Welcome to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire, author and founding senior pastor of the exciting Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Pastor Jeff is known for his heartfelt and practical proclamation of the scriptures. We are so glad you joined us today. So stay tuned as Pastor Jeff teaches, encourages, and challenges you from the Word of God. The Bible predicts that future prophetic events will catch the world by complete surprise. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Life Talk. I'm Jeff Wickwire, and thanks for joining us. Today, we're continuing the series, Israel, God's Timepiece, with the message, A World Caught by Surprise. You know, many people scoff at Bible prophecy and don't pay it much attention. But the Bible predicts that many of the events that unfold in the last days will take the world totally by surprise including the return of Christ. And you can mark it down. The Bible will end up proving right with 100% accuracy. So grab your Bible and follow along as I share part two of the message, A World Caught by Surprise. Suddenly somebody they knew, somebody they were in a relationship with, somebody they worked with is gone. And they are caught by surprise. Now, I believe the two greatest descriptions of what our world will look like just prior to Jesus' return to judge the world are found in his allusion to Noah and to Lot. Now, I want to look at what he said about Noah's day first. He said, of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Verse 38 for as in the days, this is Matthew 24, for as in the days before the flood, look what they were doing. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, and they were giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Please catch this. This is powerful stuff from our Lord Jesus Christ prophesying way down the tunnel of time to our day. We know from Genesis 6, when he alludes to the days of Noah, we have most of our information about Noah's generation, what it was like from Genesis 6. We know from Genesis 6, the days of Noah were marked by, catch this, widespread violence, a total breakdown in morality, and descent into wickedness so great that Genesis describes the wickedness this way. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only. Everybody say only. So there wasn't one righteous thought. Only evil continually. Wow. Think about that. Every one of man's thoughts were only wicked, only godless, only fleshly, only displeasing the Lord 24 hours a day. It says, 
In verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God. All flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Notice not some, not most, all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Mankind was at the end here. That's what Genesis 6 tells us about the days of Noah. And remember Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days that I come back. Now, you have to exclude the church there because the church does think righteous thoughts because we've been born again and we have the word of God. But you take away our born again experience, our knowledge of God, our walk with Christ and put us out there living in the flesh, we would end up the same way. We stand by grace. We stand by faith in the Lord Jesus. But here in Noah's time, Jesus looking back, using it as an example, mankind was at the end. The cup of God's wrath was full. His patience was exhausted. God said these words, the end of all flesh has come before me. And he gave them 120 years to get it right. Because from the moment he said, the end of all flesh has come before me, this is when he first visited Noah. Noah was working on the ark 120 years. So God gave man 120 years to get it right. What's so interesting here is that Jesus describes Noah's time very differently. Now, we read about the violence and the immorality and all that, but look what Jesus said about Noah's day. And it's kind of confusing because look what he says. As in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking. Everybody say, oh, my. They were eating and drinking. That doesn't sound worthy of hell to me, right? And then he says, marrying and giving in marriage. (laughs) You read the I used to read this and go, well, big deal. Until the day that Noah entered the ark. But see, that has nothing to do with what Genesis 6 just told us about the days of Noah. So what's up with this? Because to me, he's describing normalcy. I used to read that and say, what's the big deal? Then I began to realize that Jesus was driving at this. Here's his point. In the midst of total moral breakdown, widespread and devastating violence, and universal corruption, Noah's generation was totally and utterly unmoved, unconvicted, and unconcerned with their condition. Apathy ruled the day. Everybody say with me, asleep. That's what we're seeing here. They were marrying, giving in marriage, eating, drinking, working, making a profit living their life out. And what is the point? Well, here's the point. We know from 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, that Noah preached to them for 120 years and he didn't have a single convert. Now, I'm a preacher. I'm a minister. Every Sunday, we're seeing people get saved. If I go a couple of Sundays with nobody being saved, I'm seeking God as to what's wrong. If I preach 120 years without one convert, I'm out of the ministry. I'm out. I'm doubting my calling. But here's the point, everybody. He had not one convert. Not one said, oh, judgment's coming. I need to get right with God. Get this. All the while he swung that hammer and cut those boards, the spectacle of that giant ark growing and looming before their eyes each and every day, in spite of all his warnings about coming judgment, Noah's generation yawned, turned away from his words, and gave themselves over to a life of serving the flesh, eating, drinking. Do you get it? 
That's Jesus' point. Here's Noah every day. He's swinging a hammer with one hand, preaching with the other. Peter tells us he was a preacher of righteousness. But nobody turned. The only people that went into the ark with him was his own family. That was it. They married, they ate, they drank. They were utterly apathetic and blind to their plight. They had no clue. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be right before I return. There's going to be a worldwide apathy, a great big yawn about all these silly preachers, these church people, forget it, don't listen to them. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. They had totally accepted, watch this, they had totally accepted the depraved and fallen condition they were in. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when I return. Ephesians 4, 19, I believe. Paul says this in Ephesians 4, 19. He's talking about the Gentile world and he says, being past feeling, they have given themselves over to all manner of lasciviousness and lewdness. Now, what does past feeling mean? It means you no longer feel conviction. It means you don't feel shame. There's no more blush. There's no more caring. You're living in complete immorality, which Noah's day was doing, and there, there's no shame about it. There's no blush. Your past feeling, your conscience has been seared. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you see that happening in our culture? Sure. 20 years ago, I started preaching when I was 19. When I started preaching, I want to tell you, it's a whole different country now. Because when I started preaching, I would have people convicted and I would talk to people that felt ashamed of the way that they were living and they felt badly about it. But I'm dealing with a whole different animal now. People who say, no, what? here's the deal. You're wrong and I'm right. Wrong is now right, and right is now wrong. And if you say that wrong is wrong, you're wrong. There's been a total flip-flop. And it has been this gradual, the frog in the boiling water, being past feeling. The frog in the boiling water, that he's in it. The water's getting hot so slowly, he doesn't realize it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter, and he's about to be boiled alive. And it's that way with the conscience of people. You see, nobody falls overnight. It's an incremental step-by-step down where you get conditioned to your last step down, and once you're conditioned to it, you take another one down. And by the time you're all the way at the bottom, you can't believe, or others that know you can't believe, you're way down there when you used to be way up here. How did this happen? It didn't happen overnight. It happened in little decisions incrementally over time, and that is what has happened to America and Europe and other parts of the world. We're seeing no more shame, no more conviction, no more sorrow, but if you think something is wrong, you're the wrong one. You're the nutty one. You're the one that needs to be rebuked because you're not loving. See, we've totally twisted the concept of love. Let me tell you something. Um, People who hate the truth, who come against you for hating the truth, are only revealing that they like living in the dark. And that's what Jesus said. And believe me, I used to be there. I'm not condemning anybody. The Lord's got to come in and rescue you from this. But That's what happened in Noah's time, the frog in the boiling water. Eventually, every thought was evil. Every thought was wicked. Every thought was godless. 
And they didn't even know it. Eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, turning a profit, doing business until Noah was called to go into the ark. And the Bible says God himself shut the door and the rain began to fall. Pitter patter, pitter patter. And only then, it says in the Bible, did they realize they were utterly caught by surprise when the first raindrops began to fall. Jesus said, and did not know. They did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. It won't be with a flood. It'll be with Christ returning. Now to Lot, who lived in the infamous city of Sodom. Luke adds Jesus' reference to Lot, and Matthew did not. So we're going to Luke now. And here's what Jesus said out of Luke. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. They ate, drank, bought, sold, planted, built. Gee, that sounds like Noah's day, right? All right. Uh, but on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, the angel forced him out. What happened? Read it with me. It rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Wow. Now, who quoted that? Who gave us those words right there? Jesus. Jesus gave us those words. We know from Genesis and from the prophet Ezekiel what Lot's generation was like. Let's look at what Ezekiel tells us about it. Here's Ezekiel prophesying to God's people. He says, look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. That's a jab right there. She and her daughter had, ready, pride, fullness of food, abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. Now, that's the way Ezekiel describes Sodom, all right? So pride, the sin of pride. They weren't taking care of the needy. They were idle, sitting around, not doing anything, not working. And really, I do believe this. Idleness is indeed the devil's workshop. God created us, created us to be busy, to work, and that's a whole other topic. Now, those who try to say, that Sodom's judgment did not come because of widespread homosexuality and sexual perversion like to refer to and do refer to this passage. Let me look at it again. This was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. You hear people talk about it today who are defending the homosexual lifestyle, saying that God's word doesn't condemn it or call it wrong. They go to this verse. This is what Sodom did wrong, dude. It had nothing to do with sexual perversion. I've had him say this to me. Here was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She had pride, fullness of food. She was idle, and they didn't help the poor folks. So let me ask you a question. Can you imagine God pouring fire and brimstone out of heaven onto a city when that was all that was wrong? Wouldn't we also be toast? All right, now, those who try to say that Sodom's judgment did not become, uh, come because of uh, the homosexuality and perversion... Go to that verse, but here's the deal. Ezekiel's not done. He goes on to say in verse 50, the very next verse, and they were haughty, that's pride again, and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. Now, there's the problem, abomination. Now, I'm not singling out any one sin. I'm, I'm not. Only to point out that 
There is a very, very strong movement in our day to re-educate and help all of us to understand that homosexuality is not wrong. And it's very strong. All the sitcoms are involved in it. You can't watch a sitcom anymore that doesn't have that introduced into it in a positive way. It's everywhere. It's a huge movement to come against the idea that it's a sinful lifestyle, as would be fornication or adultery or theft or any other kind of lifestyle that God clearly calls wrong, any moral sin. There's many of them, not just that one. But that was Sodom's sin. That was the problem. What was the abomination they committed? God's word could not be more clear. Genesis describes to us a city utterly in the grip of socially accepted, socially sanctioned sexual perversion. I mean, you can't read Genesis and not come away with it. It's, it's clear as a bell. Both young and old, the Bible says, from every quarter of the city sought to have and demanded to have sexual relations with the male-looking angels visiting the city. That's just, it's there. You can't rip the pages out. I'm just reading the book. Well, that's Old Testament. Ah, but it's all through the New Testament. Now watch. Almost two entire chapters are dedicated to describing these things. Peter tells us it was so bad that Lot, quote, was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. Have you ever felt that way in our culture right now? Have you felt yourself vexed? Have you? I mean, when you look at wrong being called right and right being called wrong and sort of a persecution madness beginning to sweep over the Western world, Christians being martyred right now in the Middle East and Iran and other places, singled out just because they're Christian. I read a little 14-year-old teenager confessed that he was a Christian and he was burned alive just because you're Christian. So, and I want to predict to you, those of you that love the Lord and are in the Word of God, and have the Spirit of God in you, the days are going to get tougher where you are going to experience what Lot did. Vex daily in your soul by the things you see and hear. I got a message for you at the end of this. God didn't come tonight to give you a big downer. You're looking at me. You know, I understand. I understand. I get it. But I'm just reading to you the Word of God, Okay. What did Jesus say about their state of mind leading up to Sodom's destruction? They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. So we see he's making a parallel between Noah's day and Lot's day. They both planted, built, married, gave in marriage, ate, drank. They were both generations totally and completely numb to their condition and to approaching judgment. In other words, they were like Noah's generation, unmoved, unconvicted, and unconcerned with their condition. And don't forget, they had received a visit, Sodom had, from the most godly man on earth at that time, Abraham. Abraham, along with his own servants, had literally delivered them, the city of Sodom, and Lot and his family from captivity to a number of foreign kings. Yet, Sodom, in spite of that, only grew worse in their perversion. For me, the lesson here is that of the sobering, seductive power of unchecked sin to
to blind, to deceive, and to corrupt a society to the point that it no longer experiences conviction. Are we getting there? We are. That's why I want to be on the radio in every state of the union. That's why I want to take the word of God as far and wide as God lets us do it. Because there's only one cure for this kind of numbness and insensitivity and shamelessness, and that is the preaching of the word of God. That's the only solution because it brings light. It brings light. And I don't want to preach at them. I want to tell them about God's love and God's forgiveness. In both of these examples, an entire generation had become so numbed to violence and perversion, they no longer saw it as wrong. This condition is the final stage. It's the final stage in a culture ripe for judgment. Hence, Paul's final words in chapter 1 of Romans. Listen to what he says after Romans 1, one of the most powerful things ever written. But here's the last verse of Romans 1. They, those practicing these things, they know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. Yet they do them anyway, but it doesn't stop there. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Are we there? We're there. Isn't it amazing how history repeats? Isn't it amazing how the cycle repeats? Let's pray for America and the rest of the world that God will move in mercy and deliver many from this fate and send revival once again. There's only one thing that's ever going to change this. It's not going to be a new president. That's not the ultimate final solution. Or a new Senate. We got a new Senate and good grief. What has it done? They don't hear us anymore. So what is it going to take? A move of the Spirit of God sweeping the country. Well, I've learned in my own life that God's Word will always prove true. And that Bible prophecy, which is nothing less than God knowing exactly what the future holds, will be fulfilled to the minutest detail. Now don't touch that dial just yet because we have some exciting things to share with our Life Talk listeners, including how you can obtain a copy of today's message or of the entire series, Israel, God's Timepiece. And be sure to tune in next time for a brand new series entitled, Mercy Triumphs. Until then, may God bless you richly is my prayer. Isn't it great when things are a little easier? Like connecting to Life Talk Radio and Pastor Jeff on your mobile devices anywhere, anytime. Then here's great news. Now, Pastor Jeff, Life Talk Radio, and Turning Point Church are just a few clicks away with a new TPC Family app. With the new TPC Family app on your mobile phone or tablet, there are loads of helpful features to keep you connected in an easy and fun way. Watch Pastor Jeff streaming live on Sundays and Wednesdays from Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Or watch on-demand videos from recent services you may have missed. Listen to Life Talk radio programs on demand. Today's broadcast or catch up on any of the great teachings from Pastor Jeff on past Life Talk programs. 
You can even help continue Life Talk Radio's outreach and impact on the nation with the gospel by giving securely online. Now you can even text your gift to Life Talk and the amount you would like to give to 30131. And you'll find contact information and directions to Turning Point Church, upcoming events, broadcast station listings for Life Talk Radio, and much, much more. Plus, the new TPC Family app is free and available on Apple or Android devices. To download the new TPC Family app, simply type in the keyword TPC Family as one word with no spaces in the Apple Store or the Google Play Store and get connected. So what are you waiting for? Download the free TPC Family app today and make your life a little easier. A World Caught by Surprise is the fourth message of Pastor Jeff's series, Israel, God's Timepiece. You can own a copy of this four-CD set for just $20 plus shipping. Log on to lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. Get your copy of today's message for just $5 or purchase the entire series, Israel, God's Timepiece, for only $20 plus shipping by logging on to lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free 877-884-3111 for more information. You've been listening to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire. To find out more about Dr. Wickwire's ministry and Turning Point Church, visit us at lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. That's 877-884-3111. And as a reminder, Life Talk is a listener-supported ministry. We exist to bring God's Word to thousands of people in your area on this great station. So your prayers and financial support go a long way in helping us with this endeavor. Please prayerfully consider helping us. Thanks again for listening today, and we look forward to meeting with you once again on our next Life Talk broadcast. Music.